0: At least, as I see it, it's a problem that we're focusing only on gender, because it's easy to measure. But as I see it, that's the, the easiest one to start with, but never settle for only that, I guess, in the long run.
1: Welcome to How We Hire, a podcast by Alva Labs, with me, Tove Hörnlund, and me, Linnea Bivald. This show is for all of you who hire or just find recruitment interesting. Every episode, we will speak to thought leaders from across the globe to learn from their experiences and best practice within hiring, building teams, and growing organizations. Welcome to another episode of How We Hire with me, Tove, Events and Community Manager at Alva Labs. And me, Linnea, head of people at Alva. Our guest on today's episode is Alicia Riley. Alicia is People and Talent Partner at Ben, an employee benefits platform providing flexible benefit solutions. Alicia has a broad background within people and talent, where she's both worked with recruitment as a craft, but also headed up the people role in several startups and scale ups. She's very passionate about encouraging and supporting diversity in the hiring process, so that's what we'll be focusing on in today's episode. Welcome to How We Hire, Alicia.
2: Thank you so much for having me and for enabling me to talk about a topic that's very important. So really pleased to be here. Very excited.
1: We're super excited to have you too. And I mean, this is a topic that truly all of, all of us in this session today are interested in talking about. So it, we're bound to have a good discussion. But first things first, and this might be a very obvious question, but how come this topic of encouraging
2: and supporting diversity and hiring is such an important one to you? So I think... Throughout my life and career, I've always worked with a wide range of people from different countries and different backgrounds. And I grew up in Asia, so I was born in Borneo and grew up, I spent my childhood there. And then my first job was actually teaching English as a foreign language. So I was always really, I just love that interaction with people from different cultures and people who had different experiences. And I learned so much on that whole journey. And then when my career took a shift, and I ended up moving into recruitment, which later became HR and recruitment, I suddenly realized on this journey that there was a lot more to diversity and equity and inclusion than what I ever could imagine there to be. And I suppose about Five years ago, when I was head of people at Arbor, diversity, action, inclusion were, were becoming a board level topic, as it should be. It's so important for organizations. And, you know, when I was started to put together a strategy for that, I suddenly realized that I actually didn't know very much and I felt quite naive on the topic. And, um, So I thought to myself, okay, I've grown up in an international environment, like I'm used to working with different cultures, but there's so much more to it than that. So I really started to push my own learning on the topic. And the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. And the more I realized how big this topic is and how important it is as well. And I just had so many eye-opening moments where people would share their experiences and stories. And I was shocked and saddened but also just amazed at some of these journeys that, that people have been through and yeah it just really opened up so many doors for me i found so many communities online and webinars and workshops and obviously covid hit and and you know there was a lot of content going around online but through all of this just my passion developed even more and i became even more driven on the topic to learn more about it but also to use my learning and to actually have a difference in my role and And to really help the companies that I'm working with, whether it was when I was head of people at Arbor or when I was consulting or now at Ben, to really drive forward this subject on their agenda. I just think it is so, so important. And every organization should be looking at this as a priority. You said like
0: five years ago, this topic finally made it to the boardroom. What's your take on how come at that point, like why not before why not later why was it relevant at that point
2: i think it was always lingering i don't really uh, not sure if that's the right word to use but i think it was slowly growing and establishing kind of in the background but it wasn't at the forefront of people's agenda and i think The Black Lives Matter movement really helped to push it and drive it forward. And I saw a really big difference, actually, when I was looking for content and learning in that. And it was obviously a really positive thing to see happening. Obviously, it came from a a terrible place, but in terms of making organizations wake up and be like, this is serious. If you're not looking at it, you need to look at it. And, you know, this is what's happening. And then suddenly I really noticed more and more people speaking up about it and sharing their experiences and raising awareness on the subject. And that it's not just about race or ethnicity, it's about so much more than that as well. So it is just such a broad topic. And the more awareness was raised and the more um, companies, leadership teams were taking it seriously and understanding actually the value and benefits of investing in, in your DEI um, initiatives, then the more that you will learn and, and pick up and drive forward from it as a result. So. Yeah, I just think it was a combination of things that were happening politically at the time in the world with a wake up and realisation of the benefits of investing in, in, in this initiative. But also just it's the right thing to do, right? <laughs> like, it's really important and uh, nobody should be excluded. You know, at Ben, uh, we actually have to report back on on some of our diversity metrics uh, to our investors. And I just think that's brilliant. You know, and all organisations should be held accountable for this.
0: The Trend, or hopefully not a trend, but like some things that have happened now is due to like the financial, you know, situation in the world. Um, there have been examples of companies actually getting rid of DI roles. Like, are we getting back to where we used to be a couple of years ago? Like, what's your take on that happening?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I've definitely noticed this in the market as well. I hope not. I don't know. It's really hard to say because it's everything that's been happening recently is it's still very soon to be able to see the knock on impact and effects that this might have on organisations moving forward. But what I would say just from my experience and, and what I've seen is that it's still really, really important for candidates. Obviously, and their experience and what they look for in a company. Also, employees really care about it. From what I've seen, peers experience in their organisation. From what I've experienced myself here at Ben, and that companies are still doing initiatives to support DEI. You know, and and to continue to raise awareness of it, and and report back on it, and track metrics on it as well. So, from what I've seen in my network. I haven't seen the impact of that yet, but who knows? We might we might well see something in the future that could suggest potentially that companies might not be as advanced as they, they would have been otherwise. So if there's anything we want to
0: have the listener remember is to keep those metrics, keep reporting back on it, keep showing that it is important because it's, it's going to be important for the employees and the candidates. Um, not a nice to have, but a need to have going forward as well.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I would argue that the DEI initiatives are a must have in any uh, people teams agenda. It is that important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we then jump into the bucket of diversity in hiring, like why is it so important to have that focus on diversity when it comes to recruitment?
2: I see recruitment as being the door to your business and it's people coming in and out. Right. And ultimately, with diversity, equity, and inclusion, is your people and your workforce, your teams. And recruitment can have a huge influence on that. So, of course, it, it's inevitably going to have a really big part in how well you do when it comes to your um, initiatives surrounding uh, DEI. The reasons behind it are, you know, I mentioned earlier that there's ample evidence to, that shows that having a diverse team and workforce improves the performance of a company and, and ultimately improves their revenue. So there is so much evidence behind that that's, you know, a no-brainer. But also, of course, that it's the right thing to do. That nobody should be held back or restricted because of their their race or disability or because they're a parent. So I do think that that's also just incredibly important. And and recruitment is where it all begins. So that is why I think it's a key focus point in any um, DEI strategy and initiative.
0: What needs to be in place for us to be successful,
2: in your mind? The first thing, number one thing, uh, when you're thinking about DEI and your recruitment is that it should be well thought through and planned, that you should have a really structured recruitment process. And you should think about it from beginning to end, from the moment you establish a need for a hire in your organization, and you put that job description together, right through the whole process to, you know, where you advertise it, the application process, the screening process, the interview process, the offer. You need to go through all those steps in the recruitment cycle and analyse them all with a DEI hat on, what have you done and what can you do? And what are you doing well and what are you maybe not doing so well? And I think that's really important, having that structured process and pre-planned approach to recruitment, because if we just put a job job ad out, you don't analyze it with your DEI glasses on and, you know, plan it, then you're at risk of encouraging things like unconscious bias or exclusivity in the application process. And that's what you want to try and avoid. So it's better to take that time up front and plan it. And ultimately you'll have a much smoother and better hiring process as a result as well. And I mean, if we dissect that
0: in the, like you mentioned where you post the job ads, do you have any like learnings that you're using now? in that area?
2: Yeah, we do a few things at Ben. So um, YSYS is one that we've used a lot. I don't know uh, if you guys have heard of that, but that basically is all about diverse hiring in the tech industry. I came across them actually a few years back when they were doing some... uh, Webinars uh, on the topic of, of diversity equity, and inclusion. I was so blown away uh, with their founders and how passionate they were, and with the experiences shared. I immediately went on to check them out, but I highly recommend that. I think it also depends on the type of role. So, for example, if you're recruiting in software, like there are specific. Websites that help, um, you know, different profiles get into the software industry, or, or to apply for roles um, related to software engineering. So I think it's looking at the type of role you're hiring for, and doing your research about what job boards are available. And um, referrals are a really big one. This is something we're pushing hard on at Ben, and we're constantly reviewing our process, like what's working well, what isn't working well. You know, you've got a team of people who who have connections, and it just helps increase your your talent pool and and ultimately will help increase your diversity within that so that's a really good way to do it and something to think about as well so it's about like finding not just wait for the candidates to come but to hunt down the
0: networks that where you can use and then use the, the people that you have on board i think that's really good advice and then you mentioned like the screening phase what happens there if you're doing things
2: right i think i'm going to jump one step back and go to please the job ad phase because it's all part of the screening phase but I'd say when you're putting together your job ad, um, you know, when you're putting together the requirements for the role, there have been so many times in my career where, you know, manager has gone, they have to be a recent graduate or graduated with a STEM degree. or They need to have five years experience in this. And I'm always like, why? Why do they need that? And actually, if you challenge more and you ask that question, why, you'll actually get to a much more specific skill set or attribute or aptitude that they're actually looking for, which you can define much better than years of experience, which doesn't necessarily tell you they've got that aptitude. (laughs) You know, I think that's really, really important. Get those requirements right. Um, And it also helps in the application process, right? Because you're much clearer about what you're looking for. And And there are things you can do in the application process. So. At Ben, we've got a few things. Um, we've actually got our diversity statement at the top of our jo- our job ad because we feel that a lot of people put it at the bottom, and we're just like, nope, we want it at the top. It's really important. Like, this will show like we take it seriously, and it is really important to us. And then, as people go through, and we've got our referral bonus on there as well to encourage referrals they apply for a role and our applications are anonymous and we can do that through our ATS. So it might depend on your ATS system as to what you can and can't do. But we find that, you know, that's a really helpful way to help reduce any potential unconscious bias, which can be a very, very difficult thing to, to be aware of. As You know, you may have the best intention, but you may not realize that you're doing it. And that's what can make it so challenging. And then I think thinking about your application process as a whole, like how are you going to screen those applications? At Ben, we have specific screening questions that we use that are relevant to the role. And we use those to screen. We don't even look at the CV. We look at the screening questions first. And then if the screening questions are good, then we'll look at somebody's profile. But the screening questions are our number one way to to go through the application process. And it's much, much quicker, much easier. Um, There are also some amazing tools. Out there that you can use to help with this so you know things like yourselves right like all these tools are here to help reduce unconscious bias to help make the application process much more objective and much fairer and relevant to the role which is a really important thing so there's a lot of support out there with or without a budget there are things that you can do to to help make an application process much more inclusive and and a good experience for people and I think the final thing I would add as well is just making sure that when people are applying if they do require reasonable adjustments that they know who they can reach out to or that they can it's made aware to them that they can tell you that and raise it in the process so that you can speak to them about that to support them.
0: Mm, I think there's so many good like concrete tips uh, in that answer. Three things I want to dive into. Uh the first one being the uh, diversity statement. Can't you just uh, explain a little bit about what that is and how that's working.
2: Yeah, so a diversity statement is a short statement. As I mentioned earlier, it traditionally comes at the bottom of a job advert when you you look at job adverts everywhere. And I'm not quite sure why or (laughs) how. Um, You know, society is quite funny, things happen and then you just end up following everybody else and suddenly you're like, hang on, why are we doing it like this? But your statement is basically what diversity means to you as an organization and what your stance is, i.e. like you want to encourage diverse applications and why it's important and how are you going to do that? How are you going to support them with that? You know, and you can really personalize that to your company and, and your ethos and your culture. I've seen some really, really amazing ones that I just absolutely love. And I've seen some which can be, you know, quite impersonal and you don't quite get the warmth out of them. And you wonder, you know, are they really serious about it or is it just a box ticking statement that they've kind of chucked at the bottom? And so I think you really need to think about your statement and, you know, get input from the team as well and, and think about where that statement's going to be and, and what it means for you and We've had a lot of positive feedback from candidates, actually, about it. They are just, you know, they love it. The fact that we've kind of put it at the top and they say, you know, it just shows that you take it more seriously. And it's the first time I've seen that. And it's just really nice touch. And um, it's really nice to hear people say that and people care about it. It's really, really important. So it's, it's one small step that you can do, but it just helps to reiterate what you're doing as a company and and to show that, you you know, you do take it seriously and that it is important.
0: The second thing I would love to dive into are like, the topic of screening questions, because I mean, to some extent, it feels like I found my hiring soulmate, and this is the first time we meet, but you know, this, uh, but because we use screening questions too, and I get a lot of feedback on that people want to use it, but they don't know like how to start or what to ask. Can't you share some examples of questions that you have used that you are like, think that they work well?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'll just uh, I'll give you an example of one that we've used recently. So we always make sure, first of all, there isn't there aren't too many (laughs) because otherwise it's overwhelming for a candidate. Like if you're looking for a job, especially in this current market, I can imagine it's really stressful. So you want the process to be as easy as possible and not be too succumbsome. So, uh, yeah, we always keep them simple and we start our questions first by ticking off the basics. So, one of the things is we do hybrid working. So, we always check are you able to commute to the office two days a week? And this is something else, by the way, flexible working, which I'll I'll touch on at some point, I'm sure, uh, when it comes to supporting a diverse candidate pool. Um, but we'll do things like that. We'll check eligibility to work, which is important. So these are the, the kind of like factual yes or no questions, and then we'll we'll pick probably two or three, no more than three, questions that are relevant to the role. So to give you an example, uh, we're currently hiring a customer support executive. So what we one of the questions that we've done, which has been highly effective is imagine you're working at Ben and a customer contacts you on intercom and they've told you that their Ben card isn't working. How would you respond? And it's, been really amazing to see what what people come back with. Um, it gives us a sense of how people communicate in writing because that's a key part of the role. They're going to be writing to people on Intercom all day. It gives us a sense of what they would respond to a customer. Um, so how would they do that interaction? And you know what kind of questions might they ask? You know we're a small startup. A lot of initiative is needed. We don't have a huge amount of training at the moment. I'm sure anybody working in a startup can relate <laughs> to this we're working on it but uh, but yeah so how you know what kind of questions might they ask to try and find what's going on and it's been such a useful screening question to really show us like how somebody would actually approach that in day to day in the role so it's relevant to the role it ticks some boxes in terms of core skill sets we're looking for and we just find it really effective in the application process and it's not too long it's quite quick and easy so it's effective from that standpoint as well
0: Thank you for sharing. It's almost like a situational like judgment question um, that you're using. Interesting. The third thing I wanted to dig into what uh, you've mentioned that you have a clear like way
2: to get a hold of someone if you need like adjustments in the process or how did you phrase it? Reasonable adjustments. Yeah. For example, um, like I've had somebody apply uh, for a role in a previous organization who had difficulty with their eyesight. So they needed to have a special screen, basically, and we were like, "Yeah, absolutely fine." You know, it's it's just little things like that that can make a difference that somebody might need. Or if somebody's in a wheelchair, for example, and you're asking them to come to the office, you need to think about accessibility into the office. If somebody is a parent and they're looking after children, you know, can you do the interview remotely? You know, it depends on your interview practice um, as it is, but it's just making it clear to people that. It if they need any reasonable adjustments, that you can support that and cater for that. Um, so it's just being clear with that in the application process and making sure there's a contact there that they know who to reach out to if, if they need that.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, really like best, sounds like best practice because I think, I mean, as you say, candidates do reach out and you do need to make adjustments and it's better to be upfront with how that process works.
1: You also mentioned anonymous applications, and this is something that people are doing through their ATSs, but I wanted to see how long have you been doing that? And have you seen any differences? Because I think the biggest challenge for companies actually starting to use this is that in theory, it sounds good, but then there seems to be some mixed feelings about what the results actually are from doing this. So what have you seen so far?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I haven't, uh, we've been doing it at Ban's for about 10 months now. And in all honesty, I haven't been measuring uh, the impact purely due to capacity. However, we have now started measuring the entire recruitment funnel. So from the moment somebody applies to um, how what percentage go through, following what percentage go through, and what's the conversion rate. Again, it depends on your ATS system as to how easy this can be. Uh, we're having to do it quite manually at the moment. So we've just just pretty much set this up uh, so that we're going to be able to start measuring it so i think it's going to be a really interesting experiment uh having roles with anonymous setting and having roles without and seeing the impact of that and i was going to say like diversity equity, and inclusion is an ever ongoing initiative and challenge like it never ends for me anyway i'm always like okay you know always challenge yourself challenge your practices what's working what's not working how do you know like start to measure stuff use your data um, ask people for their expertise and advice and experiences it's always always ever ongoing so i think it's going to be really interesting i think it's a really interesting question and uh, we'll see see where it goes what will you measure like will you
0: measure like age and you know gender and stuff like that to make sure that you do
2: fair hiring we don't measure any of that information in the hiring process at the moment. We measure it when we've made an offer. So uh, we make it part of a new starter form when somebody joins that they fill in the diversity data and we let them know why and what we're using it for and we're very open about it. And we make it optional. Not everybody might want to share that data. That's okay. But so far, I think we've had a 100% uh, response rate, which has been really good. And we've been doing that for the last, yeah, about nine, 10 months. Um, So that's been really good. But I think initially, I think what we would start with, I'm not sure about measuring the data at the beginning, and I can't really justify that right now. But I've seen a couple of horror stories where it's potentially backfired, where, you know, some people have filled in that data and actually potentially have being discriminated against because of that. So I think you just need to be very, very careful if you're collecting that data up front, how you're collecting that data, what you're using it for and why. I'm always quite a big believer of Having as little information on that as possible at the beginning, and just focusing on the role. Like you need to hire a role. These are the skill sets, the aptitude, capabilities you're looking for. How are you going to assess for those? Um, because ultimately, that's what you're hiring for, right? Somebody to come in and be a high performer in that role. So. That's kind of where I focus on myself at the moment. But yeah, I think initially we'll just measure the conversion rates and just see if it has any difference. And then we can measure the diversity at the end and just see if there's any difference there. We don't have the volume of hiring at then that I think you would need to see results in that, you know, in over a shortish period of time. I think it will be a very long ongoing process for us.
0: Yeah, I think we're we're in the same boat following like kind of the same train of thought uh, but it is like the to some extent a catch-22 because you don't want to measure it because you don't want to be impacted by it but you also want to make sure that you aren't impacted by it so yeah but okay we've talked about like that you need the structure and like what you can do in the different stages and I mean there's a ton of different things that we could dive into but I mean now that you're you're doing this like scale-up journey for the second time what would you advise companies to do like to make their hiring at least like a little
2: bit better when it comes to diversity what's the first step they should take if they haven't done anything on on this subject area yet i think the first step i would take is reviewing your job descriptions your your job adverts that is just you know it's a small step of a very very big <laughs> Projects, But I think that's where I would begin. If I was looking at my hiring process and I was like, right, I want to look at diversity, acting, inclusion. I don't know where to begin. I'd be like, right, start from the beginning, start from the job ads. And there are tools online that you can use to help you analyze your language and your job ad. Um, you can you know, have a look at some other career pages, job ads, get some inspiration, ideas. Re, you know, have a look at some networks and uh, companies who support diversity in hiring, such as YSYS, YS, Hustle Crew, another really good one. You know, they can give you advice and support or, or you can see what, you know, what what do they do? Don't be afraid to kind of start off at, at, at something small because every little bit has a knock on impact to the next stage of the, of the life cycle. That's where I would begin if I hadn't done anything.
0: Mm, I think that sounds uh, very wise. I mean, given that you work at Ben, I think it would be super interesting to hear some tips and tricks on how like flexible benefits can well, a help in the recruitment process in general, but also b, how that relates to diversity, of course
2: this is actually going to link back to something I mentioned earlier around flexible working, being clear about that up front, what does flexible working actually mean? And I don't know if you've heard of Flexor or any of your of your listeners have heard of Flexor, but they're absolutely brilliant um, when it comes to this. And I really recommend you, you check them out. And they've kind of really been huge advocates on redefining what flexibility actually means. It's not just about your working hours. It's about where you work and how you work. And there's just so much more behind it. Diversity, inclusion, flexibility. It's a huge, huge topic. Every time I go down one rabbit hole, I end up going down more. But it's amazing and I love it. Uh, There's just so much to learn. But yeah, in terms of flexible benefits, I think first and foremost, the benefits you offer can have a huge impact in the types of candidates that might apply for your roles. So, for example, if you offer flexible working, um, define what that what flexible working is or, or be clear in the process. Like, does flexible working mean they can work remotely 100% of the time or does it mean they can, you know, uh, be a bit flexible with their days? I think you just need to give as much information as possible up front because that can have an impact on, for example, like working parents who – might have to do school pickup or, you know, nursery drop off or anything like that. Um, It could be somebody with a disability who, you know, finds the commute challenging and finds it easier to work from home. They're also better set up um, from home for their needs. So, you know, if you can offer remote working, then you're more likely to get applications uh, from something like that. So I think just being really clear about that and your benefits up front is really important. And then also what benefits you offer on top of that. So things like, for example, at Ben, we do a workplace nursery scheme. So you can get up to 40% discount on your nursery fees. You know, for a parent, that's massive. It's amazing. (laughs) It's been a game changer uh, for me with a little one in nursery. And I wish I knew about it before I joined Ben. But yeah, it's, you know, things like that can have a huge impact on, on somebody thinking, you know, do I or do I not apply for a job? And so many different things, you know, mental health supports, uh, you know, supporting p- people through various challenges that they may face, giving people more flexibility and choice in terms of their annual leave and how they want to take that at Ben as part of our new benefits package, which I'm very, very excited and can't wait to roll out. Um, but we're, you know, we're allowing employees to reallocate um, bank holidays so that they can use those days to celebrate other days of significance for them. So it's just little things like that that one reiterate your your stance on diversity and inclusion, and, and also to, you know, give your employees more choice and flexibility that that suit them and you know their situation, whatever that may be. So I think, you know, having a flexible benefits package can really play a big part in that. So it's about like attracting the right type of candidates, but also a wide
0: pool of right type of candidates with your like benefit package. So, I mean, I think that also brings us to uh, when we've touched upon it, but like how do you get the candidates to apply to your organization. And when I mean like candidates, I now mean like a diverse pool of candidates. So you actually can reach your, you know, D&I KPIs. How do you get them to apply?
2: So many different things, I would say. So, first of all, making sure that your advert is on a variety of job boards, being proactive and thinking about what other job boards there are that actually support various groups. Um, you know, there might also be a particular group you might want to to target. Um, for example, if you're hiring and engineering and it's 90% male, you might want to focus on, you know, a job board that supports women in coding, which of which there are some really awesome ones out there. Just being proactive with that. Um, You could also, uh, you know, think about where you're communicating your role. So, you know, there's so many different social media platforms to help increase the reach I've done a couple of presentations. So (laughs) I did a presentation last week uh, to a a group of recent grads just to help kind of open up the pool there. Like we have so many different touch points at Ben. We kind of cast the net super, super wide in the hope that we can try and reach like a a really wide candidate pool, basically, so that they hear of Ben. They get excited by what they're doing and that they're going to apply and of course, I mentioned earlier, like referrals is a really big one for us. So, you know, um, we had an external referral not so long ago. We hired that person. Like, it's just a great um, example of that working really well. Uh, we've had a few internal referrals as well, which has been great. So, communicating it with your team, all the different sets, but you have to be really proactive. You can't just hit publish on a job ad, and then just sit there and wait for applications to come in because you're immediately narrowing yourself and, and cutting your job ad off to, to a wide range of people. So I think you really need to take that into account, which is really important.
0: I was just like curious on diversity and sourcing. Do you have any tips or tricks?
2: Yeah, uh, it's an interesting one, actually. I think for me, when I do my sourcing, um, I use LinkedIn recruiter. So I have my criteria, which is, you know, I put in a wide range of job titles and there are so many job titles for every single role I've discovered. (laughs) Um, So kind of educating yourself on what those are. So again, you're casting the net a lot wider. LinkedIn is really good because you can actually like really, really filter down into what you're looking for because it's such a huge, huge network. Right. And then once I get my list of people up, I honestly don't, I don't think about it too much because I think if you go through every profile and you analyze in detail, one, it takes a really long time. So like if you're sourcing for one role and you're going through every single profile in detail, it's going to take you too long. So I just look at it like, do they tick the top boxes of of what we're looking for, yes or no. And then I contact them and set up an initial call. And for me, the call is the deep dive. Um, So that's how I go about it. Like you can't really source, you can't source anonymously. You have to have some criteria when you source because otherwise you end up with like 5 million people (laughs) coming up in your search and it's going to take you two years to get through that list. So I think you just need to be clear, like, it all comes back to your requirements for the job. Like, what are you actually looking for and why? What are the locations? Like, what kind of industries are, ideally are you looking at? Are there any particular companies you think, oh, it'd be awesome if they came from there because they're a similar industry to us. Like, get those requirements really clear up front because that will help you, like, narrow it down and then be open and speak, speak to people on the phone and start your screening process from there. And I think... Sourcing is something you have to constantly review and look at. I find paired sourcing a really nice uh, way to kind of sense check how you're doing it and what kind of things you're looking for. So, you know, sitting down with somebody and doing it with them and getting like, you know, would you speak to this person or would you sort of, you know, contact this person? Why, why not? And I think it's really interesting just to sense check, you know, what kind of things you're looking at when you're looking at somebody's profile as well.
0: Mm. I think that's the first time I've heard that concept of pair sourcing, but that sounds, I mean, makes sense. I think one important aspect of what you're describing is, is like casting the net really wide. I mean, as I see it, the biggest problem is that we're narrowing it down to, as you mentioned in the beginning, like school results or um, past experience that aren't really necessarily the most important aspects for like a good role fit or like a high performer or something like that. And we're all like, we end up looking in the same uh, little fish pond.
1: Alicia, you mentioned a little bit about measurability earlier and like briefly touched upon like following up on things, but I also want to like ask that question from a wider perspective. So not just in hiring, but diversity and inclusion overall, should we measure it and can we measure it or will we always run into those pitfalls that you mentioned?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. So, I personally think you should measure it because I think you need to hold yourself accountable. And I think you need to keep track, especially if you're in a growing organization. It's very, very easy to suddenly grow and lose track. And then suddenly you look at the team and you're like, ah, oh. We haven't built a very diverse team here, and um, I definitely have done that, you know, in a previous role as well. So, uh, when I joined Ben, I was very, very conscious of it. So, one of the first things I did was start to look at how can I collect the data, so I can start measuring it and hold myself accountable, so I don't find myself in the same position because actually, it's very, very hard to change your metrics with diversity because it relies on your recruitment and growth a lot of the time. So it's a hard metric to shift and change and it takes a long time. So, you know, if you take your eye off it, it can be, you know, too little, too late kind of thing. It takes a long time to to, um, uh, get the balance right. Saying that, um, you know, at Ben, we we have various metrics. So we look at things like uh, pay gap and percentage of women and uh, ethnic diversity and LGBTQ percentage. But one of the things I would say is that, at no point have I been able to find, like, what does good actually look like? Like, what is a benchmark for this? And I've reached out to my network and several places asking people if they've got anything. And nobody can really give me anything on that. Um, and, I, and I wonder why that is. Like, is it because not enough companies are publishing this data? Is it just that not enough companies are actually measuring it? I don't know. Um, but I know there are some companies that have published it, like Monzo, who have been super clear um, with their uh, metrics up front. Permitive, uh you go onto their job ads, super interesting. They've got like, um, well, last time I checked anyway, <laughs> I think it was set up by Maria Campbell, who is brilliant, and she... Uh, set up like uh, commitments, basically, to what the company was committing to as part of their DEI. Um, so do check it out. But I think that can be quite difficult. Is, is to know like what does good look like? The way I do it at Ben is I, I measure on a monthly basis and I just keep an eye on it. Like I want this number to go up or I want this number to go down. And I'm thinking like why isn't that number going down? Like what are we doing? What are we not doing? So I'm always analysing each one and and thinking that. And um, I also ask the team right for advice and uh, to share their own experiences and. Stuff stuff. So, yeah, so that's been really interesting. But yeah, I think you should measure it. Um, and even if you're measuring one measurement, like something is better than nothing, micro steps for bigger gains. So don't be daunted uh, by measuring that kind of data. And if anybody doesn't have the data and wants to start and you want some questions, let me know. <laughs> I'm happy to share what we use at Ben and people can yeah use that and tailor it to their organization.
0: That's fantastic and super generous. And I I really agree with like the benchmark part. The easiest one is probably gender because I think that's where companies are more open where you actually like, okay, I understand how the population looks. So I could either benchmark like against other companies or against like the population in general. But I guess at least in my mind, it's also, it's better than nothing. And as you say, it's better to measure something and get started but I see it's also, or at least as I see it, it's a problem that we're focusing only on gender because it's easy to measure. But as I see it, that's the the easiest one to start with, but never settle for only that, I guess, in the long run.
2: We actually have to report back, as I mentioned earlier, to our investors on some of these things. And one of them is you know, women in leadership as well. And when you're measuring these things, you know those types of metrics can be really hard to change because it's not like oh, yeah. your CEO is going <laughs> to is going to change every year so you can see the metrics develop so I think, you, you know, you also have to have realistic expectations on yourself. Um, but, you know, look at things like succession planning and um, mentorship. That's such a great way to help grow that. But but yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's really, really tough. Reach out to your network and um, would be my advice to anybody. I've learned so much. And there's so many amazing people with such good experience who are willing to help uh, support with it.
0: And now you are offering the listeners to this podcast to reach out to you. So expanding the network that way. I think that's brilliant
1: it is time to wrap up this really, really rewarding conversation, I would I would call it. This has been super interesting. But thank you so much for joining us today, Alicia. It's been such a pleasure having you with us. And me and Linnea will be back with another inspiring guest and episode of How We Hire in Two Weeks. Make sure to subscribe to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to never miss an episode. And if you think two weeks are too long, don't miss checking out our training sessions and webinars on our website, alvalabs.io as well. Bye for now. Bye.